you have to be able to trust yourself enough to make decisions and not be paralyzed while things are still getting figured out because there's always going to be things to figure out. Nothing's ever going to be ironed out and fully pressed. And often you kind of have to truck through the mud <laughs> on your way there. So you kind of just have to trust yourself enough to keep making little baby steps forward and not necessarily waiting to be sure. It's a scary process, but <laughs> it gets to be really fun and exhilarating as well. Welcome to the Start Right Here podcast. We put the spotlight on BIPOC beauty pros and their paths to success. We share their stories along with actionable tips that you can apply to your career or your life. We invite you to subscribe, rate, or review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or share it with a friend. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about pain points and how a traumatic experience can lead to a beauty revelation. I'm so pleased to welcome Jamila Bailey, who is the founder of Crude Cosmetics, a Montreal-based hair care line that is vegan and cruelty-free. We're going to hear how her pain point led her to some really wonderful revelations and a business that she's really, really excited about. Welcome, Jamila. Hi, nice to be here. I'm really, really excited. <laughs> wonderful. We're really happy to have you. I want to say I think you are our first guest from Canada. Really? Ah, oh, it's an honor. Yes, so it's an honor for us as well. We've done Australia, we've done France, and now we've done Canada. So it's wonderful. I'd like to start off with just some easy questions to get the ball rolling in our For the Love of Beauty section. So do you remember what the first beauty product you ever purchased or tried was? I do remember the first I've purchased actually was Curl Activator. <laughs> my mom had decided to actually put a jerry curl in my hair. So my parents got divorced and I kind of had to fend for myself for my hair. I was only like eight and yeah, I was putting the curl activator in my hair was dripping, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's memorable. <laughs> and it brings to mind, of course, for those who don't know about Jerry Curls, the soul glow portion of the original coming to America. Ah, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> yes. What's the latest beauty product you tried? Actually, right now I'm trying a tinted moisturizer. It's like I got the sample yesterday and I'm trying it right now and I kind of like it. It has a little SPF in it and I do like to protect my skin from the sun. Yeah. Wonderful. And what's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? Simplicity is queen. I think a beauty routine needs to be simple. If not, you won't stick to it. It won't get done. So simple is always better. I couldn't agree more, even though I'm known for complication, but I'm a former beauty editor. So that's part of the stick. <laughs> Let's talk about the beauty industry now. Was it a destination or a detour for you? How'd you end up in beauty? Beauty industry was definitely a detour. For sure, I'm a girly girl. I love beauty. But in college, I studied interior architecture. I was super into art. And I was really not thinking I would have a career in the beauty industry at all. And it is actually 
the revelation, like you put it, that I had a hair trauma that kind of led me into needing to address that trauma. And it took a life of its own and became my passion. Right. Interior architecture. Did you actually work in it? I did contracts after I graduated, uh, mostly interior design. I actually worked on a pretty big project last year, building a house. It was like my biggest design project, but it's more like for friends. Like I never really branched out into it in a solid way. But it's a great skill to have. It's a wonderful skill to have. So let's start with your first job. What was it and how did you land it? My very first job was working in a clothing store. And it was actually a friend of mine in high school who was working there and she kind of like hooked it up and I started working there too. And yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday, I was 15. What did you learn there that set you up for success later that you carried along with you? That is probably the first scenario where I had to work with people and uh, really kind of get along with everyone. And it was part of your job is to have colleagues So yeah, that was new for me. And I did take that later on in life to become more of a people's person. And I discovered that being a people's person is a skill. It's not to be taken lightly. Right. It's a skill. It's not necessarily genetic. No, it's not. So something that you have to work at and kind of like hone the muscle, build the muscle of communicating with others. Exactly. Before you stumbled onto entrepreneurship, did you start working in your field a little bit beforehand? Right after school, I was looking for design jobs, getting little contracts here and there, and I just wanted to start a career job. So I was, I think, on the brink of wanting to become a flight attendant. And then my mom was like, hey, there's this job that opened up the hospital I'm working at. I could get you in. So I got in, it was my first career job, and I actually stayed in the health industry for 10 years. I was a unit coordinator in ER, birthing center. I did like the entire hospital pretty much. Mostly my career was in the emergency room. And later on, I also became a medical secretary for an oncology external clinic. I did that for a couple of years, and that's the last place I worked before becoming 100% entrepreneur in my business. For listeners, this is going to tie in, so pay attention, (laughs) that Jamila was in healthcare and the way that she's bridged into entrepreneurship sort of relates in some ways to what she was doing or kind of like coincides, I guess. It's like side by side. So had you thought about entrepreneurship at all? I did. I always knew I wanted to work for myself. I was 10 years old when I figured that out. I always valued my time and I wanted to be my own boss, be able to go on vacation when I wanted to. That was my whole feel. When people ask me, I want to be my own boss. I want to go on vacation when I wanted to. So I've been saying that since forever. I did not necessarily know what field, but entrepreneurship was always inside of me. Wonderful. As I said at the top of the show, entrepreneurs are often told to find the pain point. Find the pain point for the customers and develop a solution. Yours will strike a nerve with many of our listeners. Can you share what happened that led you on the entrepreneurial path? Absolutely. Well, basically, I'm from Trinidadian descent. Our care was always me and my sister, a little traumatic in the house. The combs would come out. We'd start crying. It was like 
Our hair was never a source of pleasure, if you will. It was either tight styles, painful experience. So growing up, I guess at a certain point when I hit high school, I kind of had developed like a unhealthy relationship with my hair. I should say I didn't like it. I didn't love it. I didn't even want people to see it. And I started wearing braids all the time, extensions, weaves, and it just progressively got to the point where I had friends who had never even seen my hair, like <laughs> because there was no breaks in between. And the, I guess, breaking point was uh, when this girl had told me about this new lace front wigs that Beyonce wears. And I, for sure, of course, had to have one. So I spent a ton of money and a hairdresser applied the wig on and she literally put glue all on my edges and virtually waxed off my entire hairline and the back of my hair. There was bleeding involved. My scalp was a mess. So that was an ordeal on its own. And after that, everything else over the years, my scalp was just on fire. I couldn't use any of my normal products, nothing I bought in the pharmacy. It was like rock bottom in terms of hair. (laughs) So that kind of led me to have no choice but to start researching. I was looking for natural remedies, things for sensitive scalp, how to soothe this, grow back my hair. And yeah, it just kind of threw me in to this world of natural hair care, if you will. And I discovered that I actually really had a knack for it and a passion for it. Right. So one of the things you did was research herbs because you needed gentle solutions and you didn't want any more chemicals or anything. So. How did you learn about ingredient benefits? How did you teach yourself about herbs? Well, at first, it was very self-taught by researching online, buying books, and testing things on myself, on friends, on family. But I'm always a type of person who likes to take things a step further. So I did also do phytochemistry classes. So to really learn the chemistry behind the herbs, like why do they work, which properties work well together, and that kind of helped me really design formulas for specific hair problems. Right. What was the first product you created and how long did that process take for you? The very first product I created, of course, was a growth serum. That's all I pretty much cared about at that point was growing back my edges from the traction alopecia that I got because of the wig. And that took me months, actually. It was a very organic process where I would make a batch of something, try it on people, tweak it, improve it. And I kind of just let it evolve till I reached where I had like a very extensive specific recipe and I was satisfied with it. And I still use it to this day. So did you make this in your house? I did. I made this in my house. I was a kitchen beautician, if you will. How did you know you were on to something? with that particular formula? Well, I was onto something because that's the one everyone kind of gravitated to. So I'm like, okay, so people do need, I'm not the only one wanting this growth serum. And then I started seeing nice results for myself and people coming back, friends, buying more than one bottle. I started getting reviews. I started getting positive feedback. So that's when I was like, oh, I'm onto something. And then lo and behold, one day I wanted some for myself and I had no more left. Right. Talk me through your search for packaging and labels. Did you think about yourself as a brand at that point? I wouldn't say I thought of myself as a brand at that point yet, but I wanted to do everything right. And I also wanted to start injecting my values. So one was no plastic. So all my bottles are glass bottles. 
I got them in amber so that it would protect the essential oils. One thing I knew is that I wanted to do something high end, everything's handmade and small batches. So it kind of guided me in that direction. For my labels, I got a graphic designer. I worked with this Haitian girl. Her name's Monica. She's amazing. And she got me some really, really beautiful labels. And yeah, I considered budget as well, what I could afford and what was in line with my values at that time. Right. Because of your background, you know, because of the design background, you weren't just going to slap a label on. You really did think about the image, even if you didn't consider yourself a brand operating as a brand before you knew you were one. Very true. Looking back, that's what I notice now. Like, oh, I already did that. I'm kind of a few steps ahead. But I always laugh when people say, oh, when did you launch crew? And I'm just like, okay, well, I launched in 2016, but it was basically me making products on my table and you know, selling them to people I know. That's what it was. But I did, of course, want it to look good. I wanted to have a good image. So yeah, looking back, I do see that. I went through the process to a certain degree. But if somebody paid for your product, then you did launch. At least you could say it was a soft launch. It was a soft launch. (laughs) If they paid for it and came back and bought multiple bottles, you were launched. But what if you had to like beg them to buy it? Is that still a launch? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, good. They bought it. you think your audience was and how did that change? Well, I was for sure certain that my audience would be black females, my age range that also suffer from traction alopecia, because that was the pain point that made me start this business to begin with. So I'm like, well, I'm going to help a bunch of women like myself. And what happened was much to my surprise, my clients that were coming in that weren't my friends and family that I had begged were actually Caucasian women in their 50s postmenopausal that were suffering from androgenetic and hormonal alopecia, which really blew my mind. At first, I thought it could have been a fluke, this and that, but then it just became more and more evident that these are the women who are looking for hair growth solutions and natural ones too. So yeah, that was actually uh, very, very surprising for me. Yeah. And you can do all the research you want. But as I said, if you have it, you never know who else has the pain point. Exactly. You know, for sure, women who wear protective styles or kind of tight hairstyles, women of color, black women in particular, would gravitate towards that for sure. But no idea about how the women who ended up being your core customer were also suffering. So can you tell me a little bit more about hair loss among white women? Yeah, absolutely. So hair loss among white women, it affects a lot more of them. If we're talking about percentage-wise, we'll find that what people call male pattern baldness or androgenic alopecia, it's basically hair loss that is triggered by a sensibility to a hormone called DHT. And basically that hormone, everyone has it floating around in their body. Men have a lot more of it. This is why most men lose their hair. But as for women, if you have a sensitivity to DHT, it will attack your hair follicles and cause thinning. Your hair will miniaturize. It'll become so thin that it will no longer contribute to your aesthetic look of your head. And for these cases, we see them a lot more frequent in Caucasian women. 54% of Caucasian women will be affected by this. 
to a certain degree, whereas in Black women, it's only 14%. And in Asian women, I believe it's also 14.5. So it is something that if you look culturally, it will affect women in different ways. So knowing that information now, it makes sense that this pain point is directly touching a specific group of women that are more susceptible to have hair loss after a certain age. That's amazing because I wouldn't have known that. I think that it would surprise a lot of people. But once you had this knowledge about who your customer was, what did you do differently? Well, I started shifting my messaging. I really, really did. And I actually was pleasantly surprised. At first, I was resistant. And I did feel kind of like the pressure of needing to serve Black women because I'm a Black female. So I was a little resistant. But once I went with it, not only did I change my messaging, but it made me want to learn so much more about hair. And I started seeing it on a scientific level. And that kind of pushed me to become a trichologist. So I could really specialize and hone in because I'm just like, okay, so a lot of women are going to suffer from this. A lot of women are going to lose their hair. It's important to us. We know that it is. My traction alopecia was traumatizing to me. I already know how they feel. So yeah, it just kind of took a life of its own. My messaging changed a bit on my website. And I also kind of honed in on my French market as well. Being from Quebec, it's very French speaking. So I kind of just started finding what works and what was resonating and what was really hitting home and trying to do more of that. And the reason I said I was pleasantly surprised is because in Canada, 3% of the population are Black, like Black Canadian. That's not a lot. And in Canada, we're a lot smaller population than in the U.S. And obviously, I won't be getting 100% of that 3% to come to my website. So it's like a smaller piece of a smaller pie. And I guess it happened organically. But looking back, I'm like, I should have totally not put myself in that box out of the jump. I should have already been open to treating more hair troubles for more women. So it kind of happened like that. But now I see that having a healthy business, these are the kind of things that you need to take into consideration. Yeah, there's so much there. First, we're going to come back to you becoming a trichologist because we need to dig in there for a minute of it. But I want to talk about being a Black founder and not just serving Black consumers. I think there are examples of that, but sometimes when someone tries to do that, they're put in a box and told they should only hone in on one market. But I think, like, if you look at somebody like Nancy Twine at Briogeo, she just focused on hair and said, I'm a hair brand and I'm starting with curly hair in all of its iterations and that's where I'm going to live. And I think it helped to wake retailers up in a lot of ways because I think a lot of the pressure comes from retailers. Like, where do you fit in the store? Them saying that if you have aspirations of being on a retail shelf, where do you see yourself? And no one's going to say, I want to see myself on the dusty ethnic no, I get it. <laughs> On the yeah, next shop. And so breaking the whole notion that the market has opened up a little bit, at least in hair care, so that we're not so segmented, allows for consumers to go find the product that works. Yeah, they can gravitate to different lines. And honestly, from the beginning, I expected to be helping women who look like me, but 
as far as when people ask me what on my product for what hair type, I would also say for all hair types. I also wanted to serve a wide range because I was the one who couldn't find products when I needed. So I know what it is to be, oh, well, if you have a certain hair type, you can't come to this hair salon. You can't get your hair done here. So the last thing I wanted was for my brand to be doing that too, pushing other women out because of their hair type. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. You have how many SKUs in your line now? Right now, there's four treatments. And then we also have satin pillowcases. We have turban towels and satin scrunchies. So we have also our accessory line that are all handmade and all in like very high quality materials, super soft, very high end. And that's what our customers have come to expect. And it kind of ties in so you can have the treatment and at least at night you're laying on something soft that's not going to irritate or damage your hair further. Or you're drying your hair. If you don't want to use your t-shirt, you can also use the turban towel that's in natural fibers as well and handmade. So everything kind of ties in. Can you tell me about the other treatments? So we know there's one for growth. What are the other ones? One is for growth. The other one is a hair mask that you do once a week. It makes the hair extremely soft and light. So it helps to detangle and to really bring your hair back to life. So that's the mask. Next, there's also a hydrating oil, which is also good for the skin and for the face, for the neck. And that one is really to seal in moisture and to keep moisture in your hair as long as possible. And our last one is an oil rinse that you use in shower. That one makes your hair very lush and shiny and you'll use it as needed. So you don't have to use it every single shampoo. So you use it as needed. Talk to me about your distribution model for crew for the products that you have. Do you ship globally? Are you only in Canada? How are you working now? Well, right now it's an e-commerce store and we ship to Canada only. I decided not to ship to the U.S. just yet. I really think there's a lot more I could do with my Canadian market before opening up. So basically on my e-commerce store is my distribution and it's to customer, business to customer. So my customers come, they log in, they buy directly. And I also have three hair salons and one aesthetic salon that carries the line as well. The aesthetic salon also uses a product in one of her treatments. So she does like a scalp Botox, a hair Botox treatment using some of my products as well. So slowly it's getting in. Right now we're working on our shampoos and conditioners that are be dropping in this spring. And once that's actually all together, at that point, I would really like to start getting into hair salons in a big way where salon owners and hairdressers can use the crew cosmetic line on their clients and not just sell it on their shelves. So at that point, it would be a lot more lucrative, obviously, to have like that repeat business. Yeah, it definitely be. So e-commerce and then eventually a salon model. Exactly. Okay. Let's move to becoming a trichologist. How long did you study for that? I studied about a year and a half. I was taking a program online based in Staten Island, New York, and uh, it's given by a doctor. Amazing program, I must say. So it kind of going at your own pace. And at one point I was kind of taking my time. And then when I heard that the first in-person training that I need to get certified was going to be held in October of 2021, then I really like doubled down and pushed to get everything done on time. 
So I got certified in October. It was one week in Staten Island to be in clinic and start taking patients, coming up with treatments. So basically in the space of that week, I wrote about three exams. There was tons of assignments. And when I came back to Canada, I was a certified trichologist. Well, congratulations on that. That is an amazing feat. Are there a lot of beauty entrepreneurs in Canada? Are you able to connect? Is there a community? There definitely is a community. And I don't really have time to do as much networking as I would like to. Those are some of the challenges as a solopreneur, I should say. When you have to do everything for yourself, you really have to pick and choose where to put your time. And believe you me, your time is always going to be put where you make the most money because you have to survive. You have to keep your business viable. You have to keep injecting capital. So certain things take present. I would definitely love to get more involved with uh, the Canadian beauty industry, especially for Black women. I feel like now that I've really grown my company for Caucasian women, with specific alopecia, I would love to also be able to help Black Canadian women too that have traction alopecia. And I do know that it's going to be a different approach in my marketing. As a Black female, I know it's important for us to know products are going to work for our hair type because it's been so hard to find our name and our voice in the hair market and have things for us that if it doesn't say it or it doesn't show it on the label, we're skeptical. We're not prone to want to try. So I get that. It's actually exciting for me to think, oh, so what's going to be the next steps? What can I do to really pique the interest of my fellow Black Canadian women who might like my products too? Yeah, that is exciting. What do you think the unsung skill is that you need to be an entrepreneur? I think you need to be able to trust yourself. Especially as a solopreneur, it does get lonely. You don't always have someone's ear. People say you need a mentor. You don't always have one. And you have to be able to trust yourself enough to make decisions and not be paralyzed while things are still getting figured out. Because there's always going to be things to figure out. Nothing's ever going to be ironed out and fully pressed. And often you kind of have to truck through the mud (laughs) on your way there. So you kind of just have to trust yourself enough to keep making little baby steps forward and not necessarily waiting to be sure. It's a scary process, but (laughs) it gets to be really fun and exhilarating as well. Are you still hand making your product? I am. I am still hand making it. I actually love that part. So that's like the beauty too. When you get to discover what you love doing in your business, because at first you're doing everything because you have no choice. (laughs) You're doing it all. And then certain things kind of pop out as, oh, I didn't know I would be good at this. Oh, I didn't know I would enjoy doing this that much. Oh, so honestly, like the things that I love doing as the product creation and also the marketing, like the digital marketing and like running ads and making copy like that, for some reason, I love So now I know the elements that I like doing the most, but of course, there's still a lot of things that I do because I must. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That's true. I want to move into our last section of Starting Five. Could you offer our listeners five tips on taking a focused approach? What I love about what you're doing is you stuck, you have four oils, you did treatments only. And a lot of times when people envision a line or going into business, they want to do it all at once. Can you speak to the benefits of a slow rollout and being focused in the approach? 
Definitely. And I like that observation that you've made. At first, of course, I was like everyone else. I wanted to do everything I couldn't. And now I see the value in that too, because everyone always says niche down, niche down. It's similar to finding the pain point. If you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. And what's interesting is that when you're a small business, you do have to set yourself apart somehow. You don't have the budget to say you're going to reach the more people or put the best pictures up or this and that. So by niching down and having a specialty, it actually works to your advantage. Obviously, it helps as well with overhead and all the other stuff, but it does set you apart because a big brand is not going to sit there and make one small little product line, but you will, and you will be able to tell them, hey, it's handmade. And all those specific things become your brand story. And it would be the reason why someone will pick up your product versus the Johnson and Johnson or versus the Shea Moisture because they identify with your story. So by starting small, I guess it lets you really hone into your craft and flesh out what do I do different than everyone else before opening up to the noise, if you will. Okay, so this will be directly business related. It's definitely more profitable as well to start small and get things to work on a smaller scale before having a larger product line. What it allowed me to do is to see exactly our clients, what do they want? Okay, they want hair growth. What is the second thing they want? Oh, they have dry hair. They want hydrated hair. What is the fourth thing they want? Oh, okay, their hair's breaking. It's damaged. So it really helps you to pinpoint the pain points like we were talking about at the beginning. And then when it is time to get your brand or your line to expand, you already know what your clients want. So when you have to make the shampoo now, you're like, okay, well, for sure, my first one's going to be for hair loss because I already know that this is what they're coming to me for. So yeah, breaking it down in little bite-sized chunks, I feel like eventually it will really show you what your client's needs are and how you can better serve them. Uh, well, I have a tip on ingredients. It's very important to know the regulations where you live. For me, it's Health Canada. And that's another reason I'm not in the States yet, because it's the FDA. And these are important things. Like sometimes we want to just open the valves and just shoot in every direction. But every country has its own regulations. And as a cosmetic product or a natural product, you have to abide by those rules. So it's very important to actually do your research and know, okay, if I am going to release a beauty product, what can I say on the label? What can't I say on the label? There are certain ingredients that after a certain percentage, they become considered medicinal. If you are using an ingredient that's considered medicinal, what are the regulations behind that? Because you might not be able to produce that at home because it became medicinal. It might have to be done in a lab and under specific criteria. So yeah, that's, I guess, another tip on why it is good to start small because it will allow you to take the time to go through all those little micro details that you want to set up. And that when it's time to get bigger, you don't have to go backtrack and fix things or you're not already in hot water. You've never been fined and you have the confidence to know, okay, I can expand and nothing's going to come bite me in the butt. What do you love most about working on Crew Cosmetics? 
I actually love talking about hair. I love, love, love talking about hair. I could talk about hair for hours. So I get to do that now (laughs) all the time, all day. Yeah. And I also love working with women. It's fun. I'm totally for empowering women and our hair. It kind of is that bond. I guess from one woman to the next, we know how important it is. We know how grooming our hair. It's not just about hair. It's not about superficial. It goes deeper than that. So I feel like I make really, really nice connections with my clients. And what I love the most really is being able to do something I love and truly feel like I'm helping people. That's amazing. And that's where we're going to stop because you can't really top that. If you're doing something you love and you're helping people at the same time, then you are in the best position. (laughs) It's an enviable position. We probably have listeners in Canada. We do have listeners in Canada. So please tell us how to reach you and to find Crew Cosmetics. So our e-commerce store is crewcosmetics.com. It could not be more simple. Crew Cosmetics is our Instagram account. Crew Cosmetics is also our Facebook account. So those are the best ways to find us. If you ever have questions, there's also a hair quiz on the website that you can take the quiz, get some hair tips already off the bat and contact us by email. We love getting email. It's info at crewcosmetics.com. And one thing I didn't mention is that with every purchase, you're entitled to a 15 minute hair consultation with me, a certified trichologist. And you just book it through the link in the email that you receive. And if you need help building your hair routine with our products, that's a bonus that all of our clients get. Well, that's a fantastic bonus. Crew is C-R-U-E. Correct. So Crew Cosmetics, C-R-U-E. Thanks again for joining me. And we look forward to seeing you. And we can't wait for your product to get to the U.S. We'll wait patiently. Oh, perfect. Well, it was a pleasure being here. I mean, it was lovely, lovely meeting you. And I really enjoyed this podcast. So good job. Thanks for listening to the Start Right Here podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, or review our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or share it with a friend. Remember, there is more than one way to the top, but all that is required is for you to take the first step. So we invite you to start right here. Remember to check out our newsletter the last word from Start Right Here. On it, we offer additional information on taking a seat at the table or building one when it comes to beauty and inclusion. You can go to thebeautytable.substack.com or check the link in the show notes.